This is Bootstrap, a show about real life as a small business in the technology industry. We talk transparently about lifestyle, tools, struggles, and successes in small shops like ours. My name is Rob Martinson. I'm a 45-year-old software developer, dad, and technology enthusiast. I've been a developer since the early 90s and a technology business owner since 1999 when I started Limelight, a software development consultancy in Spokane, Washington. My hope with the show is, um, you know, when, you, when, you're, when you're working a small business by yourself, I say bootstrap, that's kind of what I came up with for the name, but you know, even if you're getting funding from someone else, if you're a small business, if you're not blown up um, and you're a small team, there are a lot of problems that you have to figure out how to solve yourself. There's no manual uh, for this process. And especially in the technology industry, I mean, I, you know, we talk about you know, the internet, internet's been around for, you know, whatever, 30 years now, but it's still really a really new industry. You know, we're not making steel. In a technology-related industry like um either technology consulting or software development of some kind or software company. The technology stacks move so fast. Software, hardware moves so fast. Um, and everything that we do is, you know, you're, re, you're learning that process by yourself. And this is true with any small business, I think. But I think I've especially noticed it just on the, you know, on the technology side of things. When we're dealing with, with uh, staff issues, you know, as a small business owner, um, there's a lot of curriculum out there to read about what the process is for setting up a benefits package for so on and so forth. But um, you, you kind of have to figure out how to do that for yourself and what fits your team and what your goals are. Um, and it, it's it's very different. So my hope, my hope with the show is that I can bring some other people in. Um, and I have a really good list of uh, potential um, guests. I would really like to get another host or two and, and get involved that kind of participate regularly as well. Um, I'm not a big fan. You know, I listen to a ton of audible books. I listen to a ton of podcasts. Um, I'm, I like the co-host banter, you know, you get some good communication. So that's kind of my hope for this. Um, we do have a lot of interesting interview possibilities, um, even just in our area in Eastern Washington, what, you know, just in Washington state, there's just tons and tons. Obviously we've got Seattle there, you know, huge, huge amount of people over there. But, uh, um, I re I really want to get some other people involved to talk about really a, you know, no bullshit version of, of small business in, in this industry. I'd like to hear about how they deal with problems. Um, some of the struggles that they've had to overcome, uh, maybe, you know, maybe I can, uh, you know, offer some advice or at least tell them about my experience. I'm not, I'm not a business major. I'm a high school dropout. <laughs> you know, I, I have a degree in automotive technology. I'm not, uh, um, I haven't got all this stuff figured out, um, but we've been able to trudge, trudge along and be fairly successful and um, figure out a way to do things um, and, you know, have a good lifestyle at the same time. So I hope I can bring some other people in, talk about lifestyle, um, keep it kind of lighthearted and and uh, see what their other life interests are and how that relates to technology and their business and, and, and some, what they consider, you know, what are their metrics for success? Are they just in a growth? Because 
Um, you know, I think Lamont's a good example. I'm not, I'm not really into growth anymore. <laughs> I think we're at the size we want to be, and I don't want to be any bigger. Since this is our first show, I'm going to talk a little bit about the history uh, myself and kind of what my goals are for the show and a little bit about Limelight. Um, I think uh, the reason I want to start a podcast or a show about uh, businesses, I think, you know, I've been in the industry for 25 years, um, 25 plus years at this point. Um, Limelight's been around for 20 years. Uh, and I find it very interesting, um, some of the problems that we deal with. And I, I think there's a lack of clear, transparent information about some of that. So, you know, some of these, some of the things that we talk about might be, um, maybe a little bit off color, but the whole idea is to, uh, to talk about it transparently and, um, you know, bring other small business owners that are in our space in the technology space or a related technology space um, to come talk to us and tell us about what they do on a daily basis and and maybe get into, you know, HR issues and what uh, their favorite technology stack might be, whether it's software or hardware um, at home, um, you know, what they're drinking, what's their favorite beverage, um, just some real life lifestyle type discussion uh, that's focused around uh, our, our size business. So um, we'll kind of see how that goes. But anyway... I'm going to give a little bit of a background on myself. So um, I started doing development work um, in the very early 90s, so um, probably about 1993. Um, I I ran a small bulletin board system, and I was kind of a geek. Um, At the time, I was a a car guy. I was going to school at uh, SEC here in Spokane, Washington. Ended up getting a degree in, in 94, um, in automotive technology. So, you know, at the time I thought I was going to go work on cars and I just happened to be at the same time doing some part-time work, um, doing web development. This is about starting about 93, uh, for a company out of Chicago called Wessex. So Wessex was a GIS software and data company. Um, it was run by my uncle, Scott Elliott, um, and my aunt, um, Jane Elliott. So Wessex was actually pretty unique because they took at the time, um, Tiger Line Data, which was Census Bureau Street Data. Um, you know, the, today we have Google Maps and Apple Maps and all these other um, large mapping GIS data sets that we all take for granted because it's in the palm of your hand. But you know, back then um, it was it was very very expensive data. It was expensive to produce and it was expensive expensive to purchase. So we're in the many hundreds of thousands of dollars. Very was very common to purchase street level data. Um, people used. Uh, they had marketing um, demographic data um, was pretty common. So they used you know, large marketing departments. Quaker Oats was an early customer of Wessex um, way back when. But anyway, so Scott and, and Jane and his his team at Wessex, they figured out how to turn um, public information, the public street data provided by the U.S. Census Bureau, and put that out in a format that was consumable um, by the software, the major software applications at the time. So, um, map info, um, Esri, uh, I think at the time it wasn't arc info. I think it was arc view GIS, but anyway, so I went to work for them doing some, uh, um, web development at the, you know, and it was kind of funny because, uh, I look back at, uh, there's still some of my early websites. Some of the, the Wessex website is still out there on the Wayback machine that you can go back and find. But, uh, it's uh, pretty interesting to look at some of the 
some of the old school stuff that we used to do. It was all really a big giant directory of static HTML. Um, we had CGI, Common Gateway Interface, um, which would give us some, you know, a little bit of functionality. We could make mailer forms and that kind of thing. But really, most of the web guys back then were um, probably dinking around a little bit with CGI scripts in Perl um, and doing a lot of regular HTML, lots of search and replace. So um, I worked for Wessex um, up until I think it was about 96 in another industry um, Another industry company, GIS industry company, purchased Wessex and went a different direction. And uh, Scott and Jane um, had been discussing and talked about starting up another another business. So they started a company, uh, which I, I helped with at the time, uh, called Directions Magazine, which was a, and is still around, um, a uh, an online magazine geared towards the GIS software industry. It's not just software, but the GIS industry as a whole. So we talk about data and hardware and, um, you know, GPS stuff and everything that goes into it. And so um, we started that project in, in I want to say, 96, uh, fall of 96, I believe. Um, spring of 97, we brought that back to Spokane. We brought the operations back to Spokane. Scott and Jane stayed in Chicago. Um, they were in... Winnetka, Illinois, actually north side of Chicago. But so we brought directions back here. Um, and I ran that for a couple of years out of Spokane. I moved into uh, the Holly Mason building here in downtown Spokane. Um, right as soon as that was kind of ready to go. And um, then in 1999, I, I really wanted to go off on my own. I had a, an opportunity from a joint uh, client, um, that was looking to have some web development done. They wanted a contract web developer. I've been doing a lot of work with them over the previous couple of years. And they reached out and said, Hey Rob, you know, what do you think about, uh, we've got some extra cash before the end of the year. We have a whole bunch of things we want to get accomplished and we just kind of want to front that money to you and basically pay you on a retainer. Um, and I was like, wow, this is, you know, this is probably a pretty cool opportunity for me. So, so I, I, uh, um, that company at the time was Blue Marble Geographics, by the way. But uh, I, so I thought about it for a little bit, and then I and I and I jumped on it. And so December of 1999, um, I left Directions uh, formally and started working on my own stuff. And I've been been doing a lot of web and application development uh, since then. So um, you know, we've got a good 20 years. So um, that was the start of Limelight. Uh, you know, over the course of the last 20 years, I've done lots of um, software consulting, really, it's problem solving. Um, so I, you know, Limelight, we've had a, we, we try to, try not to really be uh, based in one single area of technology or language, which, you know, we try to say we're technology or language ag- agnostic. Um, I think there's a solution for every problem. Some are better than others. Um, use what you're comfortable with. I think there are lots of great tools out there. Um, but, Anyway, Limelight, we have fluctuated since then. I think we had a pretty decent growth spurt. I, I started hiring staff. Um, I was solo for the first decade, really, and then uh, started hiring staff in 2011. Um, and we jumped from, you know, we hired one and 30 days later hired another and and uh, grew quite a bit that first, uh, that first year, the fall of 2011 into 2012. Um, and we had Eight, a staff of eight or nine within uh, six or eight months or so. And we moved into a, a building here in Spokane that was run by a now good friend of mine and partner, um, Steve Salvatore. He was a city councilman at the time. 
and he um, he had two commercial buildings at the time that he had started this entity called Spokane Entrepreneurial Center. And the whole idea behind that for him was he um, he provided space for business owners wanting to get out of their, really out of their basement. So early stage entrepreneurs, he, he provided space that was low cost, month to month, no lease, no deposit, and kind of all inclusive. So, you know, you paid a bill and you could get an office for 200 bucks or something like that. And got an office in the Pleckner building in downtown Spokane through Steve and became really good friends with Steve and had some good growth the first couple years. And, um, we continued to do lots of development work and go through, you know, we had some, some pretty solid, uh, um, successes. I think, you know, I kind of look at building a business as kind of like a game and you get to the next stage and, um, figure out what your achievement is. And for us, um, you know, I'm pretty proud of, uh, the fact that we've, we've gone through some ups and downs. I think every business does. Um, but we, I think we've been fairly consistent, um, for the most part. Uh, we fluctuated between, you know, anywhere between eight and 20, um, employees at Limelight. Um, and I think our sweet spot is probably right around, uh, probably right around 12 to 15, I think is a good spot. And that's right about where we're at right now. Um, and, you know, our revenue has grown, but it's got to a certain spot. When we were, when we were up at, a, you know, 20 staff members, it was really tough for me to try to juggle um, understanding what their goals are. Because really, in a small business, you ha- you've got to be buddies with everybody there. Um, and, and you have to start juggling personalities because everybody has a different goal for themselves. So some people are um, motivated by money and some people are motivated by time off and some people are motivated by, you know, their personal successes and their professional successes and what they do. And, um, you know, those types of things, how, how fast they move forward. So, so it's really getting a whole bunch of people, um, is difficult to, it starts being really difficult to juggle, juggle that, or at least it was for me. Um, so I, I really like the kind of 12 to 13, uh, 12 to 15, um, size. So we stayed at the Pleckner building in limelight until we got to be probably, I think eight or nine people and then kind of outgrew our spot in there. And this is maybe 20, I think it's probably 2013, the beginning of 2013, maybe the end of 2012. Um, if I remember right, but so I had a conversation with Steve, who was the building owner at the time. And I was like, you know, and he had two buildings at the time and was trying to juggle both of those. And I'd done my best to, to kind of help him out in our space in the Pleckner building. Um, so we kind of helped to manage some of the tenants and set up the internet access and those types of things. We weren't really directly related to our business, but, um, you know, we like to contribute and Steve's a super, super good guy. So um, anyway, I was, I was kind of struggling for what I was, how I was going to deal with some of the growth because we'd bounced around on one floor. Um, these are small offices. So, you know, we had maybe a total of, five or six hundred square feet. And it was um, um, between three or four individual offices that we had guys crammed into on desks and that kind of a thing. And the the space that we were in just wasn't really conducive to the growth that we had made and really maintaining the environment because we do have a, you know, a bunch of developers. We're primarily developers. We do a lot of design work. Um, and I think we work well in sort of an open environment where we're all together in the same room and we can powwow and that kind of thing. 
doesn't always work, but you know, that was the environment that I wanted to build. Um, I wanted to build something that, uh, people were excited coming to work every day. And anyway, so we struggled with the space and, um, and we were running out of places to move in the Plechner building. So I was uh, driving downtown on third Avenue, um, one day and there was a building, um, at 28 West third and it was all boarded up. It had been like that for a long time, had this really cool kind of theater like overhang on the front, uh, on the front foyer. And, um, <clears throat> ended up seeing this place on Craigslist, on Spokane Craigslist, and it was bank-owned. Um, and I reached out to Steve, and, and I was just kind of daydreaming at the time. I was like, man, wouldn't it be cool for us to have our own spot that was like, uh, you know, we could do really whatever we wanted with, and that was kind of a better fit. It was like a big, you know, I was kind of looking at studio-style spaces, maybe 1,000, 1,200 square feet, where we could get our, you know, our 15 folks in there and be comfortable in an open environment and have a place for a kitchen and restroom and uh, conference room and, you know, that kind of a thing. Not too big, but something, something really cool. And I'm, I'm a huge fan of some of the old brick buildings. Um, I really love, and in Spokane, especially, um, you know, this is in the, this is in the late, this is the early 2010s, basically, that's where we were then. But um, we've had a lot of uh, revamping of those types of buildings here in Spokane. But um, I'm a big fan of sort of that old, hundred year old, the 1900s brick, you know, couple stories, one, two, three, four story buildings. And, and that's kind of what Steve had, what Pleckner building was and the other one, the Lorraine building at the time. But anyway, so, uh, it's kind of daydreaming and I reached out to Steve and I was like, Hey, what do you, uh, what do you think about, um, maybe buying a third building and maybe, uh, maybe, you know, something we could kind of do together and figure out how to do this. Cause I was really bummed out about uh, thinking about leaving, or not being um, in a space that Steve managed or was involved with. I mean, we had become good friends, but he's really, really, he's just a good guy. Um, he was very pro small business, very, very pro business in general. Um, he's a great resource. I mean, everybody that's met him is just a, he's, he, you know, there are, you go through life and, and I think you hold on to the people that are really good people. Um, and he's one of those guys. So um, um, anyway, so I was kind of bummed about having to, you know, potentially leave and not know what I was getting into because I'm taking a risk also. So I'm putting everything financially into this and I'm looking at, you know, what happens if I go find this sweet, you know, 1,500, 2,000 square foot space and I got to sign it. They want a three-year lease. And I'm like, I'm, you know, I'm too, I'm up and down still right now. We're adding staff and we're trying to find the right fit and we're doing all this kind of thing, but I'm not, I'm, this is all myself. This is all bootstrapping it myself, I'm putting all of my money back into it. I didn't have a, you know, a line of credit with anybody. It's just making this thing work on a day-to-day basis, which means we got cash that we need to come in. We got to pay our folks and, and we got to figure out how to pay rent. So I was kind of concerned about making a long commitment on a space that I wasn't familiar with or with a, with a landlord or something I wasn't familiar with. And Steve's like, you know, this is possible. And I showed him this place on, on Craigslist. It's called the Buchanan building. And we, He's like, yeah, you know, we could we could potentially do that, and it, it could basically be kind of this third location of the Spokane Entrepreneurial Center. And uh, we went and looked at it, and the main floor was, you know, I mean, it, the, it, this place was a shithole, honestly, at the time. Um, it, it was uh, it was pretty rough. The main, but the but the bones of the whole building, it, you know, they were really really solid. It was cool. You walked in this; it was split in two different halves. So the building was built in. Um, I think 1907, and it was built as a funeral home. 
And so the main floor, pretty high ceilings, and it was all kind of laid out for, um, you know, a funeral procession. And so they'd have, you'd come in on the west side of the building, um, the left side, and you'd walk through, there's a long hallway and a couple different offices right there. And there was a crappy little kitchen in this room in the back that was, um, it eventually has become our conference room. And then you cut off to the right in the right half of the building. There's this gorgeous space, these beautiful ceilings in there um, that I think was like the chapel portion of the, um, of the, of the funeral home or, you know, when they'd have, when they'd have uh, services there. Um, really kind of funny, some, some quirky layout in there, but there was a couple areas. I mean, there's these beautiful skylights in various places, um, throughout the building, um, that had these old wood pane window, uh, with water glass in it where the skylights were. And you could tell, I mean, it was broken down. The roof was super crappy. So there's crap leaking all over the skylights and it, it was just kind of run down, the floors were horrible. There was, you know, it had been, it had been at one point a real estate office and a telecom center and all this kind of stuff over the course of the previous um, couple decades. Um, and I think at this point it had been abandoned for, I don't know, two or three years. But anyway, um, we saw this place, we saw the potential and we're like, yeah, man, this could, this could be really cool. And so um, Steve and I kind of got together and we put together some plans and um, we bought the building. Um, again, I want to say this is, I think, 2013 and spent about six months um, sort of gutting the whole place and uh, spending a bunch of Steve's money. Not, not my money. I didn't have any money at the time, but um, spent a bunch of uh, a bunch of effort. We had some good contractors and kind of refinished the whole place. And we we moved in in June. Um, and it's really turned out to be just a gorgeous, gorgeous place. Um, we're super, super proud of our, our place, our space and, and how it worked out. And, and we have room for other tenants too. So there's a loft area in the back that was kind of these two stubbed in, um, apartments that obviously were built with no permit. You know, there's drug needles and all kinds of crap in there when we first went in, totally gutted it, opened up. It's one big open sort of loft, these beautiful big beams. Um, and we've had, uh, one tenant in there. Uh, Mojo Lab here in Spokane. So they're um, a really cool kind of um, marketing, not really design, but sort of a marketing firm. They do lots of video um, advertisements and and audio spa- um, um, spots and that kind of thing. Some great clients in Spokane. They've been in there with us um, since then, since we since we first opened, and they got just a really beautiful space upstairs. And we refinished all the floors and um, we put in some you know ADA compliant bathrooms and we put in a kitchen, um, downstairs where there was kind of some old countertops and we had to go through adding sprinkler systems over the course of the last couple of years for in the basement for, um, for city of Spokane. We've got a game room with ping pong tables and foosball and, um, a really beautiful conference room that we, uh, just had, uh, a mural done this last year in, but, um, anyway, it's turned out to be just a great, great spot. Um, and I think it, we're, we'll, we'll probably be able to stick there for a long time, but so that's kind of the history of our, our, our places. I might do a follow-up podcast that just talks about the, the space um, because it is kind of interesting, but that's been sort of our growth, um, you know, over the, so we, since we've been in the building, so like 2013, um, you know, like I said, we've gone kind of up and down. We've between probably eight and 20 devs at that one time and, or, or people in general. Um, and we're back, back down to, I think we have 12 or 13 people right now. So, um, you know, our shop, we're really software consulting um, and problem solving. So 
Um, clients, we don't do fixed bids on anything. So clients come to us really, um, they might have a web application, a web portal that we're building out. We do a lot of mobile applications. We do, we tie a lot of systems together. We do a lot of automating, um, a lot of automation, uh, automation tools, conversion tools, that kind of thing. Um, we're, like I said earlier, we're, you know, platform and, and language agnostic. Although I will say that, uh, we spend lots and lots and lots of time with uh, cloud providers, so we do a ton of work at Amazon Web Services now these days. Um, really a big fan of Amazon, um, Google Cloud Platform, um, Azure as well, although I think uh, currently in our shop over the, about the last seven years we're, we're um, kind of Amazon-centric. Um, we do manage a lot of large Amazon accounts for our clients. Um, and we, we really, really like that uh, Amazon is an infrastructure. I think it works really well. Uh, for a lot of years, we used um, you know our own hardware, and we had a rack full of equipment out at Tierpoint, which is a co-location facility here in our area. It's over in uh, a little bit farther east from us in Liberty Lake, Washington. But um, probably about eight years ago, you know, we made the decision to kind of migrate towards um, towards cloud-based stuff. And I think we unplugged our last internal box. We still have some running, but but most of the commercial stuff that we hosted for clients, I think, kind of went away on real hardware that we managed about, probably in total about five years ago, I think was kind of the last point in time. Um, we ran some of our own cloud stuff at the time, and that's kind of gone away. So at this point, um, most of what we do, you know, we, as I mentioned, we don't do any uh, fixed bids on anything. So clients come to us, pretty common situation, and we we try to maintain sort of an agile type of workflow for most of our work. Um, we do lots of work in pre-employment um, and pre-tenancy, um, background investigation industry. So we're, we're, we're pulling, um, we're doing integrations for our clients for credit and criminal um, and eviction reports and um, that type of a thing for the different industries. We might have property management companies that, that – uh, come to us and we'll build out um, a decisioning engine where you pull a credit and a criminal automatically from a data vendor, um, spin it through a whole bunch of different layers and, and spit out kind of a decision. So you know that if you have an applicant that goes in and, and is trying to get a lease on a given apartment, we can automate some of the decisioning on that for our clients. We do a lot in that space. Um, Pre-employment as well is very similar. So when you're getting a job and you get a background investigation report run on you to see if you're a hoodlum <laughs> or whatever, um, you know, we tie into a lot of services on the back end. And we work with other vendors that, uh, or some of our clients are actually vendors of background information. So we work kind of on the infrastructure and build out, build out and manage their infrastructure in AWS and other cloud systems, that kind of a thing. But um, lots of, uh, lots of web-based development, lots of database heavy development for us. Um, we work with uh, PHP quite a bit. Uh, C sharp. I mean, you know, pretty much anything. Lots of lots of JavaScript stuff. Some Node stuff. Lots and um, we're big into containerization. So anymore, we containerize a lot of the applications that we build and we deploy those either um, in an environment like Docker locally for developers, or um, we've recently, probably in the last year, year and a half, been using Amazon ECS, um, which is sort of a Kubernetes alternative. It's kind of a managed. Uh, container orchestration system that uh, Amazon's put together. Um, Fargate, um, ECS with Fargate is one that we're, we really, really like because basically we can bundle up a, con- a Docker container and just kind of shove it out there um, and it runs and does its thing and we don't have to worry about what's, you know, what's underneath it. 
So we don't have to manage Kubernetes, although we've we've done some of that as well. But um, <clears throat> so clients come to us typically, and they might have a project. They maybe they're a startup company or whatever, and they might have a project or an idea, and we sit down and kind of go through what their goals are, what they're trying to accomplish, what set of functionality is important. And, you know, we sort of do this little intro problem-solving session. We kind of try to try to gather up a set of notes about what, you know, what the goals are out of this thing and, and what their budget is as well. That kind of goes into it as well. So, um, you know, they, they may have an idea for a mobile application as an example. And they're a startup and they just want to get, we, you know, we're, we push a lot for, um, just going for MVP, um, minimally viable product every single time, especially for new businesses. Um, you know, you really need to get version one. You can't have version two without having a version one first. And version one's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be what your dreams are, but it's you've got to prove the concept. You got to get it out there. You got to go through the development process, and you got to kind of figure out whether this thing is going to work or not, um, and whether you're going to be able to sell it. And what you know it depends on what the application is. But anyway, so we kind of try to put together and. MVP outline, um, sort of high level about what the application is, what technology might be involved, where it's going to be hosted. Um, you know, if we're doing a mobile app, maybe it's maybe it's only on iOS to start, just so we only have to deal with one app store. Maybe it's only on Google Play to start. Maybe maybe it's just a web based, um, you know, uh, responsive application that they can use and touch and feel, um, so they can get kind of proof of concept. Some of our clients are going back to investors and trying to figure out or, you know, trying to build a um, back an investment so they can push it as a business. But anyway, we go through and do MVP. And let's say, for example, that uh, we think, you know, we, we kind of give a ballpark and we say, hey, you know, I, I think based on what we understand about your wants and needs in your application, I think we can probably put this together in, I don't know, between 300 and 400 hours, whatever the number is. And, and, you know, we have projects that range from 50 hours to 5,000 hours. So it, it completely depends. But let's use say 300 to 400 hours, we put kind of high side, low side, based on what we know today. And we try to be really, really clear about, you know, this is going to change. Once we start going down the path of um, development, you, you know, you guys, we're learning more about your business and what your, what your goals are. Um, and you're learning about what development is and what's possible and what's not possible and you're kind of changing your perspective. So the whole, especially in the early stages of a project, there's a lot of learning um, on both sides about what the goals are, um, what's possible, what it actually costs, how t- difficult it is or isn't to do certain things. So so initially we try to just put a high-level range on that and say, hey, okay, 300 to 400 hours, we think we can get this, you know, ABC accomplished. What's your budget? How fast do you want to move? How fa- You know, how fast do you want to spend? And... You know, client might come back to us and say, well, you know, this makes sense and I want to get it done in three months. I got 90 days. And we say, okay, well, very simply, let's split this up into 100-hour chunks. Um, and we're going to ask you to book the initial 100 hours. So we prepay that first sprint. And we get it organized on our side into a sprint. We break it up into tickets. Um, we use a tool. A lot of people are familiar with Jira. We use a tool called Utrack, um, which is from the JetBrains crew. Um, I know lots of people use JetBrains tool. Utrack is their hosted version of ticketing and um, agile kind of development workflow stuff. So we break everything up into a set of tickets and we kind of have a kickoff meeting and we say, okay, here's, here are kind of the goals that we have for the first hundred hours of this project. 
and we start going. We get the client inside. A, we have a pretty large Slack installation. So we typically, in Slack, I don't know how many hundreds of channels we have in there, but we've got some internal ones that we use. And then we'll spend one up for at least one, more typically two, for every project that we work on. And we'll have a, we'll have a project with a prefix of that particular customer, and we'll, we'll bring them into that Slack channel um, along with you know one or two or five or whatever devs might be working on or touching that particular project, um, they'll be in there with the client. So the client has a way to communicate with us, you know, all the time. Um, and then typically we'll spin up another channel that's internal use only um, for our devs to be in there so that we can kind of go back and forth um, without, you know, being in front of the client. We can have some communication about that particular project. We spin up the Utrecht project, the Slack. Um, um, they fund that initial sprint, and then we're kind of we're off to the races. Um, usually, we're going to set up one or two um, different environments early on. If it's a brand new project, we will, maybe only will have a development environment during the early stages um, until we get closer to an MVP. In which case, we'll break out at least one production environment um, and a staging environment. Typically, we like to set up automated deployment for those things. Um, you know, we sort use source control for everything. So we're a Git shop. Um, we use, uh, you know, we've used a bunch of different tools over the years. At the moment, we're pretty much based around GitLab. Um, you've used Beanstalk app, which is a really good one um, that I like from from uh, Wildbit. Uh, we've used that for about the previous probably seven or eight years, I think. Um, in the last year and a half, we've migrated more towards GitLab. We like kind of their continuous integration, continuous deployment pipeline, um, and some of the other sets of functionality they have. They've got container repositories that are kind of bound up with a source code repository. But anyway, so we set up the repos for a given project. We set up deployment. We Maybe we set up an Amazon account on behalf of the customer, so it's an account that they own and we give ourselves administrative access to, but they kind of they have that so that in the future, if they want to work for with different devs, they've you know they own all that stuff, so... Um, and then we iterate and we go through, you know, we go through that first sprint and we show the customer as we're working, what we're working on. We show them the dev site, we get feedback and we get them into ticketing and talk about it on Slack. And we try to touch base, you know, every week or so with them, um, pretty regularly. Um, if they're not actively working with us every day <clears throat> and we get to the end of that sprint and we try to reevaluate, uh, we try to reevaluate the whole project and say, Hey, you know, how are we doing? Are we, are we hitting our metrics? Are we um, are we on budget with where we thought? What has come out of the discovery process over the course of this last, you know, this last this first sprint that's gone on this last thirty days? Um, and it's pretty common, especially for new projects that you know something that they ha- hasn't been built before. It's pretty common for both us and the client to realize, oh, I didn't realize we also need to do X, Y, and Z, um, and that's going to change that kind of that scope of work, which is why we, we do not work under fixed bids. Um, it's all time materials. Um, that's going to change. And it's going to change for the client too, because sometimes the client's going to realize, oh, I didn't realize you guys could do step A, B, and C um, without doing, you know, these other steps first. So that's actually going to save us a lot of time um, and workflow, and I don't have to do that anymore. So we don't have to worry about that implementation that, that they had originally thought about or whatever. So it adjusts. It's, you know, it's a constant back and forth process, figuring this out, um, really, really, especially with new projects. But so then we reevaluate and we, and we go for the second, the, the second sprint and the third sprint, and we kind of finalize that and push it out the door and, and go from there. And we have, we have clients that work with us, um, 
mean, there are a large, there's such a variety of different projects and different project types. There's not, I mean, I, I don't like when, you know, somebody says, Hey, go talk to Limelight. They're a good web development company. We're not a web development company. We do a lot of projects that are based on the web. We're not a marketing company. We don't stand up, um, you know, phone book style, yellow page websites uh, for people. We don't, we can help you with, you know, if you have an issue, if WordPress isn't working for you, we can help you do that, but we don't manage any of that stuff. We don't do SEO. Um, we're not a design shop. We are a problem solving company that's very, very heavy on the technical end of things. So the implementation, the infrastructure, um, the workflow with data, you know, those, those types of things. So there's so many different projects, uh, types and technologies that we deal with. Um, we, you know, we've done a lot of work with asterisk, um, some telephony applications. So we built our own PBX and we've done integrations with that. And we've worked on marketing campaigns with, uh, you know, uh, people like Premier Blue Cross and, uh, Seattle Seahawks and the Seattle Sounders here in Spokane or in uh, Washington state. Um, um, we've done a lot of marketing campaigns on behalf of other firms. Um, so where we have other firms in Spokane, um, and Seattle and different areas that have kind of needed a hand on the technology side, on the technology stack. And, and they have a client that they work with, um, and they need somebody to implement a, you know, an SMS gateway or a, a pub crawl application that, that, uh, sends out SMS and does some feedback and does quizzing and then compiles results and displays them somewhere. I mean, all those kinds of things, we kind of do the guts of that, that stuff as well. So, um, so we're not a web shop <laughs> We're we're, kind of a technology oriented development shop. We do pretty much anything. Thanks for listening. If you are a small business owner or just somebody that's involved heavily in a small business in the technology space, um, please do reach out and you can reach me at, at Rob Martinson on Twitter. Um, you can track me down at uh, bootstrap.fm. That's uh, where we're setting up the stuff for the podcast. So, um, and obviously I'm always available at Limelight, Limelight, L-I-M-E-L-Y-T-E dot com. Um, you know, we're available for all kinds of different consulting projects, but really I want to get in touch with some other um, business owners and operators in the technology space and and hear about what they're doing and how they're dealing with things. And um, some of the, you know, I'd like to get into the discussion about some of the tools that they use. So I'm, we're going to talk a little bit about uh some of our software stack and some of the tools that we use for managing our different uh, tasks in the, in the shop. And um, anyway, reach out.